Hello, and welcome to the Space Weather Facts and Forecast podcast. I'm Isaac Brigham, amateur space weather enthusiast, and I'll be giving you the current space weather conditions, a forecast for the upcoming week, and telling you all about a fascinating space weather phenomenon. Stay tuned. Wow, space weather has been really very active lately. There are currently 10 numbered active regions on the Earth-facing disk, and at least five of them could be major flare players. In fact, we have already seen many M flares and even three X-class flares, including an X1.98, the second strongest of the solar cycle so far. A lot of these flares, though, were very impulsive or short duration and did not produce CMEs. There have been a few long-duration events, but the CMEs they produced were not aimed at Earth. Most of the really noteworthy flares have been happening on the east, or incoming limb, which was promising, as it meant new flare players would be turning towards Earth. However, it seems like most of the regions have quieted down as they started to face us. There's currently a new group of active sunspots on the east limb that seems to have at least a small delta magnetic layout. It will be worth watching to see if it stays active as it turns towards Earth. So as things stand, I expect low M-flaring to continue not infrequently, with a smaller chance for an isolated high M or even low X-class event. I don't see any CMEs headed towards us at the moment, but that could easily change if the Earth-directed flaring began. Also, there is a very large filament in the southeast of the Sun that is poised to erupt. If it did so, it could possibly launch a CME in our direction. There are no coronal holes of note on the Earth-facing disk, and so we shouldn't expect to see any high-speed stream impacts in the near future. As to the geomagnetic conditions, we're only at a KP1, but the solar wind data is average to moderate, with a barely negative minus 0.9 BZ. This is making for a slightly elevated hemispheric power of 36 gigawatts in the north and 31 in the south. I really don't see this situation changing much in the next few days. The solar wind data could stay minorly enhanced due to CMEs missing and barely affecting our planet, but certainly nothing major, nothing more than maybe a KP4. We do have a couple possible chances for activity coming up though. First, and I think maybe most likely, If the filament I mentioned erupts, the associated CME could hit Earth. Also, there's a chance we could get a storm if an Earth-directed flare erupts, which could be at any time in the next few days. So for aurora chasers, if you're at high latitudes, there's a chance of a small show, nothing major, in the next few days so long as the solar wind stays slightly elevated. And certainly keep watching the data, because there's chances for solar storms to launch towards Earth. Thanks for listening to the forecast. Now it's time to talk about this week's featured space weather phenomena. In this episode, I'll talk about a major space weather and radio communications related topic, radio blackouts. Radio blackouts are a phenomena that occurs during every large Earth-facing solar flare, affecting how well high-frequency, roughly 3 to 30 megahertz, radio communications can propagate on Earth. These frequencies are used most notably for military and government communication, radar communication, and amateur radio. In a strong event, 
lower frequency navigation signals can be disrupted as well, affecting air, sea, and spacecraft positioning. During a powerful solar flare, high frequency communications on Earth's day side can be almost completely lost or blacked out. Let me describe why. When a solar flare erupts on the sun, it sends intense levels of electromagnetic radiation, most notably X-rays and extreme ultraviolet light, out into space. This radiation travels out at the speed of light, reaching us in eight minutes. When it encounters the uppermost layer of the Earth's atmosphere, known as the ionosphere, which encompasses the thermosphere and parts of the meso- and exospheres, it collides with particles of gas, ionizing them or stripping away their electrons. Now, high-frequency radio communication signals rely on the ionosphere to reflect them back down to Earth in order to communicate over long distances. First, the signals pass through the lower D layer of the ionosphere, the densest and most absorbent layer. Then they hit free electrons in higher layers and reflect back towards the ground, passing through the D layer a second time. Now, when electromagnetic radiation from an especially strong solar flare penetrates the ionosphere, stripping away electrons, it can reach the denser D layer, where it creates a surplus of free electrons. If a high-frequency radio wave tries to travel through this layer, the extra electrons absorb its energy, either degrading the signal strength or completely absorbing it. This means that during a strong solar flare, high-frequency radio communications on Earth's day side, not the night side since electromagnetic radiation can't reach that side, be seriously degraded or even completely lost. This blackout typically lasts just a little longer than the flare itself, anywhere from minutes to hours longer, with stronger blackouts taking more time to return to normal. Radio blackouts are categorized on a scale with five levels. Each level also directly corresponds to a range of solar flare strength, so the scales can be easily matched up. The lowest level, R1, corresponds to an M1 to M5 flare, and usually only results in minor degradation of high-frequency signals and very small disruptions to low-frequency navigation. The levels increase, with R2 corresponding to an M5 to X1 flare, R3 to an X1 to X10 flare, R4 to an X10 to X20 flare, and R5 to an X20 plus flare. At each level, radio signals are disrupted worse, with widespread blackouts in high frequency, beginning around the R3 level, and major effects in low frequencies becoming obvious by R4. The levels are not rigid, but rather continuous, meaning that an M9.9 flare, while technically only causing an R2 blackout, would have much the same effect as an X1 flare and R3 blackout. Radio blackouts are unfortunately almost impossible to forecast, as they occur at the same time as solar flares, which we cannot yet precisely forecast. We only know of them as they happen. The best we can do is in keeping track of the sun and knowing when there is a heightened chance for noteworthy flares so that affected stakeholders can adequately prepare for potential loss of radio communication at intervals. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe and share it. This podcast will be available on the second Saturday of every month on major podcast platforms. See you next time.